With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Daily Digest from Football Digest. I'm Ned Keating and joining me this morning are Sam Mead and Ryan Taylor to run through some of the latest lines from the January transfer window. Uh, Ryan, as we had you on last Tuesday, we've got you on this Tuesday again. Obviously, Tuesdays uh, are are a regular day for you and your Colin uh, Taylor's Tuesday transfers. Uh, We're going to be running through again some of the lines from that today. And we're going to start, Ryan, then with with Arsenal. in your column today, you mentioned about how they're looking for a midfielder with, with Thomas Partey and Mohamed El Nene, both in action at the Africa Cup of Nations. Granit Xhaka haven't tested positive for COVID. Uh, that leaves Albert Sambi Lakonga as their only fit central midfielder. And obviously a, a crucial game against Tottenham uh, coming up this weekend, not just bragging rights at stake, but obviously trying to, to dent a resurgence Spurs. And, and obviously they're trying to, to kind of take Arsenal's spot in the top four at the moment. Um, so they're in desperate need of a centre mid. And it looks like they're going to try to, to bring one in as much as they can before the weekend. Yeah, exactly that. I think kind of the problem Arsenal have got now is it's clear that they're kind of desperate for a central midfield player. So anyone they, they try and get, um, you know, it could, it could prove quite difficult. Obviously, we know January is a challenging market to to make sign-ins, um, particularly given that most clubs leave most of their business until the summer window. Um, but Arsenal kind of shot themselves in the foot, really. I think, obviously, they knew El Nenny and Partey were off to AFCON, but I'm kind of surprised that even though he was sort of deemed surplus to requirements, that Arteta's let Maitland-Niles leave to join Roma. Um, so you mentioned there, Jacker's COVID test, obviously that's something that can't be helped, but it really does leave Arsenal light on the ground in central midfield. And uh, I know there's a lot of promise surrounding Charlie Patino, but I don't think he's quite ready yet to kind of start these matches. And obviously with Liverpool in the Carabao Cup on Thursday, and as you mentioned, Tottenham on Sunday, you do kind of wonder whether he might maybe drop someone like Martin Odegaard into there or even a, a wild card Callum Chambers holding midfield. You just don't quite know. Well, um, we'll come on to some of the names that Arsenal have been linked with in a moment. But Sam, the fact that that Arsenal kind of, they're going to get, obviously Granit Xhaka is going to hopefully fully recover from COVID and then he'll eventually be back at at some point. And and with Thomas Partey and Mohamed Elneny as well, obviously their commitments at the Africa Cup of Nations will only last until the first week or so in, in February if they were to go all the way and lift the trophy. So in terms of, what Arsenal need. It's not something long-term. So do you think that means then that by the nature of the necessity, it's almost perhaps a loan deal that they're probably looking at at best rather than signing someone and then having more competition for places in midfield and trying to work out a place for this player long-term? Yeah, 100%. I mean, like they enjoyed loan success last January, didn't they, with um, with Odegaard? So I think they have used the market well. But it's like you say, we, we go through the same thing with Liverpool, with, with AFCON. Um because, you know, they lose Mane and Salah, but they're ultimately only away for a month. 
So, you know, do you inv- how much do you invest on someone that's going to be away for a month? Because, you know, no one's going to give you a month loan. It'll be up until the end of the season. And then, like you say, they've got a problem for the, for the four months, five months after that. And I don't know if you remember, there was a... Um, Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I think I'll just give you a call, mate. Yeah. 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 We've got live transfer lines coming in on this podcast, bringing you the breaking news. Um, and I remember early on in the season when um, when Edu came out and did an interview with Sky Sports, he was he was quite you know thorough in that they they had a plan when it came to their recruitment, and the reason they signed Lakonga was because it was a long term view because they saw Jacker and and Party as their two at the base of the midfield, and I don't see why they would rip that up six months down the line. So I think, like Ryan says, I. Rather than potentially even rather than going out and getting a loan move for for the next three or four weeks, whether it's an Odegaard or, or a Smith Rowe, you might ask them to drop drop deep and and do a job, or he might even end up tweaking the system slightly because I think that's for such a short term problem. I don't see why you would even go and get a six month loan because, like you say, if they get they get these three players come back plus Lakonga, if they see Patino long term, you know you've got six players for two positions, and I just don't. I, think that creates more problems than it solves. Right, just going back to your column, um, in terms of the names that, that have been mentioned with uh, with who Arsenal have kind of looked to fill the gap with, um, Arthur Mello from Juventus is one of them. They were interested, I believe, in a, in a loan deal for him, wasn't it? But he seems to have kind of brought himself back into favour out in Italy. Uh, Bruno Grimeresh, uh, a player who has been long linked with Arsenal, even before he moved to Lyon a couple of years back, but the fee that might be involved with that makes it seem like perhaps potentially something that might be done in the summer instead. Um, and Dennis Zakari, I know Sam's made a good point there about, you know, Arsenal don't necessarily need to go out and get someone, but if they were to go out and get someone, I know we've, we've talked about how great a loan deal would be, but you mentioned in the comment about a £6 million fee potentially for, for him because his contract is up in the summer. So Gladbach would be looking to to make some money at least, I mean, rather than lose some on a free. So of, of those three players, it looks like Dennis Zakaria might be someone who could solve Arsenal's midfield issues. 100%. I think as, as kind of fans and journalists, we're almost guilty of thinking we know better than the managers. Um, but, you know, from the outside, I think someone like Zakaria really does tickle boxes for for Arsenal. Um, they have been linked, but it's unclear, you know, exactly who is in the running for him at the moment. Obviously, as he mentioned, his deal's up in six months at the end of the season. And with Gladbach looking for just a small fee for him, he looks like the perfect fit, really. Um, obviously, last year, Edu sort of implemented a, a new transfer policy in which the club were targeting younger players sort of within the 21 to 24 age bracket. And uh, Zakari is only 25. So he does kind of align with the club's recent transfer dealings. So I'm, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if he was someone they looked at. And, and like we just touched on, you know, it's a deal that could be probably brokered fairly quickly. Sam, does it, it, it with with all this kind of, you know, other clubs will have done their, their research into this, you know, clubs that Arsenal will be negotiating with. And I suppose this kind of goes for everyone across the and, and the kind of, it, it's a strange window in that in the summer you go out and get players that you want and you almost go out and get players that you need in January, if that makes sense. You know, kind of you've got to this point in the season, injuries have either piled up or players are out of form or, or other issues altogether. So when you're trying to negotiate with clubs and trying to buy players, they kind of know that they've almost got you over a barrel in a way and that might see one or two prices somewhat inflate. Yeah, 100%, like you've nailed it. I think it is, you act more out of some necessity in, um, in January and you can't be as, 
as coy with your plans, like we said, like if you look at Arsenal's midfield situation now, if if, if you're a potential um, potential seller, you turn around and you just stick on a premium because you know you either have him or you don't. It's it's, it's really up to you. So that's why you know Mitch and Gladbach are actually in a, a decent-ish position in the sense of if they do want to make some money off Zakaria, um, they can go and do that. But I mean, like you know, Ryan mentioned it there. It's a small fee. I think the thing Arsenal needs to decide with Zakaria is that you know we see it a lot with Man United when certain players come on the market, you have to be seen to be at least throwing a hat into the ring. Um, and Arsenal need to decide where they are with this because with you know he's been linked with Liverpool, Man United, and Arsenal's long-term ambition is obviously to be challenging with those teams. And if those teams are are weighing up that move, Arsenal really do have to to be seen to be at least contemplating it. Um, because you know, like Liverpool's midfield is is well stacked and that sort of stuff, but they would still look at Zakaria and Arsenal need to decide, you know, do we also need to be in the market for that? But at the end of the day, you know, they've profited and not from this. You know, we go back several years and Man United felt like they needed to be in the market for Alexis Sanchez and they signed him and you know that I think we all know how that went. And, you know, Arsenal benefited from that. So sometimes you can get pulled into a game you shouldn't be pulled into. Um but yeah, I mean, I've got to be honest, I don't expect them to do anything before the window ends, but it's just me. Moving across the capital now, Ryan, and looking at Chelsea, um, it, they've long been linked with with Jules Koundé. Um, you know, going back to the summer, there was there was all this talk about whether or not they would have uh, sold Kurt Zuma in the idea that they were supposed to get Koundé. Didn't come through, didn't happen in the end, but they're still sniffing around him this January. But they seem to be facing a, a bit of a, a strange uh, issue with, with Newcastle in that they're not interested necessarily in Kunde, but they're interested in his defensive partner at Sevilla in, in Diego Carlos. And the Spanish side won't be looking to lose both of their star centre-halves this window. No, definitely not. I think, to be honest, uh, the Kunde interest would probably be more towards the summer for Chelsea, given that uh, Rudiger, Azpilicueta and Christensen are out of contract. Um, and obviously Sevilla have made a, a habit of moving on players. That isn't a problem to them. It's part of their model to sort of sell on for profit and then reinvest that money in players they can develop and uh, make money again off the, the values increasing. Um, but with Sevilla, at the moment, they're actually well off in La Liga. I think they're five points behind Real Madrid uh, with a game in hand as well. And they really kind of fancy their chances as as outsiders. So it makes no sense for them to, to really lose either Diego Carlos or Coinde this month. However, with the kind of money... Um, potentially being discussed with, you know, have Newcastle have in their pockets. Um, I think Diego Carlos is around about 28. So don't think Sevilla would necessarily say no if a, a massive offer arrived this month. But obviously, if that was to happen, kind of decreases chances, uh, Chelsea's chances of landing Kwonde further down the line. Um, although Sevilla like to sell players, obviously losing two of your best players and your first choice centre-halves in the you know, six months isn't something that's going to be easy to to replace and resolve. Sam, with with Chelsea and and the kind of weird situation that they find themselves in in, in having so many uh, defenders out of contract. I know obviously Thiago Silva signed a a new contract last uh, last week, but let's be honest, you know, at his age, he's not really going to be the future of Chelsea's defence for for much longer than probably the end of this current contract that he's just signed. Um, but with Christensen and, and with Rudiger um, both being out of contract as well, like Chelsea do have to start now kind of almost disaster planning isn't the right term for it, but they do have to start thinking about the worst case scenario, don't they? And and it does make you think as well, like kind of 
the whole structure that they've got there. That yes, Chelsea are known for being tough in negotiations, but you know whether or not they need to bring in reinforcements defensively this January or this summer, there's going to be potentially a big change at, at back for Chelsea at some point in the next, you know, possibly six months or so. Yeah, massively. I think the noise around Rudiger, if you're a Chelsea fan, isn't great. Um, I think, you know, he he's at that age now where he thinks he's probably got one major big contract in him and he, he really is going big by all accounts for the sort of wages he's looking at and by all accounts does seem to fancy a move to Real Madrid. So I think you get to a stage where, you know, mid-January, especially into February, we had it a bit last year with Wijnaldum. If they haven't signed, they, they won't be signing. Um, so I think they do need to prepare for that. But when it comes to the severe interest, I think they could play this really, really well. If I was, if I was in charge of Chelsea, if I was in charge of Chelsea, because you know, I think if it comes down to a bidding war, we talk about the amount of money Newcastle have got. I have no doubt Chelsea would still win out in a bidding war if it was who wants to put more money down. Um, and with Kunde, like Ryan says, Sevilla is still in the hunt. So they don't want to lose their best players. And ultimately, Chelsea have got Rudiger until the end of the season. If we go back two or three years, you know, they signed Pulisic in January, but said, look, keep him for the rest of the year. And if they were to approach that sort of deal with Kunde and Sevilla, I think that could really work their advantage. Because at the end of the day, they don't need Kunde now because they've still got two or three centre-halves. You know, they've also got Chalabar is high, highly rated. They, you know, they play 3-4-3, three, three, so they can only play three at a time. If they get six on their books... Again, that creates more problems than it solves. So if you were to go to Sevilla, you know, we know there's a there's a long-term interest there. And they were to stump up the sort of cash that Sevilla were looking for, but also said, you know, by you keep until the end of the season, that enhances their La Liga title bid. I think that's something that Sevilla would be more inclined to do. And I also think Chelsea, in terms of long-term planning, that that would also suit them down to the ground. So if either one was to to be struck, a, a deal like that, I think, could could suit all parties. Sam, you can tell this is your first appearance on this podcast. How dare you bring logic to this episode and this show? <laughs> it never happens, never happens. Um, but sticking with Newcastle somewhat, obviously we mentioned there about they could be a fly in the ointment for this uh, for this Kunde deal for Chelsea and, and potentially sign Diego Carlos this month. Um, but that's where they're going to have to shop, isn't it, uh, Ryan? In in the kind of foreign market is, is probably the best term for it. You know, they've tried... They've looked at potentially some Premier League players. Obviously, Chris Wood has been linked, James Tarkovsky as well. These guys are proven Premier League players that they know might be the right characters as well that they need for this, this relegation battle that they're in. But they're finding their rival Premier League clubs, and especially, you know, probably given that Burnley are going to be a relegation rival between now and the end of the season, that they're a little bit reluctant to do business with Newcastle. Yeah, and it appears, to be honest, just from the from the outside looking in, um, you know, the majority of Premier League clubs aren't particularly keen on doing business with Newcastle since the takeover. I think, obviously, you know, the, the teams at the bottom are fearful of their immediate, you know, future in terms of relegation and, and what that means. But obviously, if you look at the clubs like West Ham as well, and even the top six clubs, you know, you're not going to want to see Newcastle strengthen, particularly of all this money in their pocket. I think... Everyone is well aware of, you know, the massive job there is on the ha- on the owner's hands. It's not going to be a quick fix, even if there is loads of money to spend. And, you know, spending doesn't always equate to immediate progress. But, um, you know, from what we've seen so far, it does appear like, you know, a lot of Premier League clubs would probably opt to swerve sending their players to Newcastle and strengthening them. And I think that's why we've seen Newcastle, in particularly in recent weeks, sort of target the European market because... 
they've not really had much joy with Premier League players. Um, Liverpool don't want to get rid of Origi. Lucas Digne hasn't want to, uh, doesn't want to sign for Newcastle. So you mentioned Tarkovsky and Wood as well. Um, you know, even the likes of Donny van der Beek and Anthony Martial, you know, I thought Newcastle might kind of be all over exploring signing, you know, some of United's fringe players, even Lingard, but just hasn't happened for one reason or another. Sam, when you look at the players that Newcastle are now being linked with, or, or you know, the ones that are mentioned in, in uh, Ryan's column today, uh, Hugo Ekatike of Rems, Benoit Badiashile of Monaco, these are young talents. These are good young talents who could turn into be brilliant players. So the outlay might be cheap now and it might turn out to be a masterstroke for Newcastle. But pure and simply, what they need now is, you know, these these are kids and they're going to go into a relegation fight in a league that they're not used to. That's not what Newcastle need at this moment in time, is it? They need, I, I feel like I repeat myself on this podcast every day when I say it, but Newcastle need warriors that are going to dig them out of this hole that they find themselves in. They might not be there in, in, in six months time and they might not be there in, in 18 months as the, as the revolution continues on Tyneside, but they need battlers who are going to dig in week in, week out rather than, you know, potentially these kids who are being asked to, to sign up for a massive relegation fight. Yeah, massively. And obviously, you know, if you're these players as well, that, you know, these, these foreigners, um, if you look at, would you know they obviously have got bright futures ahead of them, and you know would you go and join a team that genuinely is at a threat of relegation? So that would obviously be in their minds as well. Um, the difficulty, like you say, is that it says a lot. You know, the only foreign signing they've got is a player in Kieran Trippier who does know the league, so it's clear what they are after. Um, and I think they are, you know, it's not tried and tested as we like to say when it comes to their signings if they do go abroad, because like you say, they will come to a league. You know, we get a lot of it with the amount of games we play and all that sort of stuff, they would have to adapt very, very quickly. Um, so I think that's it's clearly not Newcastle's favoured tactic to go down throughout the next couple of weeks. But as Ryan says, there's such a reluctance from Premier League sides to deal with them that they might not have a choice. I'm surprised in a way, and we have seen that they haven't, I think rather than going to, to France for a signing, it may also serve them better to go to the Championship and look at players who have played in the Premier League. I know they've been linked with Slanky, for example, at Bournemouth, who has sort of started to score goals like we thought he might do. Um, I know he didn't necessarily really cut it at the Premier League, but whether those, those years down in the second tier has done him some good, we don't know. But I think that almost might be a better way to go for them because, like you say, coming over into um, the Premier League, having never done it before with the situation they face is going to be less than ideal. Moving on to Tottenham now, chaps. Um, and Ryan, you mentioned uh, about a, a non-league star who's got a trial with Spurs uh, at the moment. Uh, Joshua Ajayi from Ramsgate, 17 goals in the eighth tier of English football so far this season. Um, everyone's always on the lookout for the next Jamie Vardy, um, aren't they? You know, you kind of read, read all the stories about how these non-league talents are getting, um, uh, attracting attention from from teams in the Premier League and, and a little bit below. Um but obviously Joshua will be hoping that he can make the most of this trial spell, but it's not obviously the first time that he's had a bit of uh, experience with training with the Premier League club, formerly with Crystal Palace, I believe. Yeah, um, he was, a, well, pretty much a graduate of the Palace Academy. Um, he's played a lot of football in the youth teams at uh, Crystal Palace before he was released in 2020, um, but decided to go down the non-league route. And uh, Ramsgate are actually renowned for you know, developing young players. The manager there is sort of um, the crux of his team at all, like under 21, 20. Um, they've had 
two players in recent times. One, Rory Smith, went on trial at Aberdeen. And a year later, a guy called Jacob Mensah um, was taken by Palace as well. Um, he's now at Morecambe in League One. So they play attractive football. And Joshua has been the top goal scorer at step four in non-league. Ryman South East Division, I believe it is. And uh, Tottenham have come down to watch him on a number of occasions and uh, have invited him for a trial this week. So um, hopefully he can, you know, I've got a lot of time for players that have delved into non-league as opposed to sort of sticking around pro clubs. Um, obviously, it's quite a, a sacrifice in a way to drop down, but paid dividends for him. And hopefully that's a, a gateway back into the pro game now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had the uh, privilege of coming in back in him in Redbridge when, when John still was manager for a second time. Now he spoke so much, you know, he, he's obviously, you know, John's got a brilliant track record of of bringing in young talents from these unheralded leagues and, and turning them into great ones. Obviously, Dwight Gale being the, the biggest one. And Sam, what he said to me quite a lot of the time was that, you know, the reason why these kids go on then to be successful is because they've had that that kind of first-hand experience of playing alongside guys who don't have these flash motors and don't have these flash lives that obviously these kids at the Premier League, they'll see when they're in the training ground, day in, day out, coming into the academy. You know, they've they've kind of seen life a little bit more at the coalface, as it were, you know, kind of these these guys having to put food on the table for their families and, and worrying about that. And I suppose then for Joshua Ajayi, when he does go to Spurs, that he will have that that kind of hunger and fight and desire that he's seen from playing non-league football, from going up against, the, you know, being roughed up by men on a weekly basis. I know that's a stereotype, but but he'll have all these attributes that he's gotten from even a brief little spell in non-league football. He can take that hopefully into his trial with Tottenham and impress them. Yeah, massively. I mean, like, when you, like you know, Ryan said, when you drop down, it is a risk because there's no guarantee you come back up. But I think the behaviour and the mindset you learn is absolutely massive. And I think the, you know, for him to get a chance like that is absolutely brilliant. And it's, it's credit to him. And I think the the big choice for for non league players when they when they come up, if you you know, you mentioned Dwight Gale there, and I believe he went to Palace via Peterborough. Um, and I think that's a that's sort of a, a modern path. You know, we talk about the next Jamie Vardy, but when Leicester signed him, they're in the they're in the championship and then and then took him up. So, you know, to go from the eighth tier to the Premier League would be pretty unheralded in terms of a of a jump. So I think when it comes to players at that level who might have stepped down, it's the career path they choose to take. Cause at his age, the Premier League is absolutely still a realistic ambition for him. And especially with with what he's done at, at Ramsgate. Um, but now it's a case of, you know, this trial at Tottenham. And even if he, you know, if he was to be successful, you you do think that they would potentially look to to loan him out, right? You know, he's not going to be Harry Kane's backup if he if if he was to be successful in the trial. Um, so it's it's credit to him. And and like you say, the what he'll have learned at that level will be will be vital. Um, and now I think it's just about him making the right choices in terms of his career going forward. It was a nice little, um, nice little kind of side note in the in the column as well, uh, Ryan on on Ajayi about the fact that his his father happens to be a boxing trainer, Tindy Ajayi, who uh, he uh, trained uh, Anthony Yard in his world title fight a couple of years back. Obviously, still is Anthony Yard's trainer now as well. Uh, so you can say that he's definitely going to have the fight installed with him. But I suppose you know, aside from dreadful puns being made there, that actually having someone like that, and again having. Um, experience of the boxing world you know he'll have he'll have been in a gym with his old man and, and kind of watched him train his fighters that that discipline from that sport as well will possibly help him when it comes to to again trying to impress Tottenham on this trial yes yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that actually Ned because when I spoke to the Ramsgate manager on on the phone on Saturday morning he told me well he told me that his, that his father was Tunde but he said uh 
when he mentioned it, he said, so he's big on all his mindset and things like that. So it actually does play a big part um, of, you know, his makeup as a footballer. Um, Tunde is a, he's an interesting character actually, but, you know, one of the big things that he can't be discredited for is the, the self-belief that he's installed in Anthony Yard. Um, the fight he had with Kovalev in 2019, Yard was a massive underdog and it, it was probably a, the world title shot was probably a bit too soon in his career, but, um, you know, they're full of belief and, you know, Tunde's a, a, a good, you know, father figure to have in Joshua's corner in terms of installing that self-belief and, uh, belief and, you know, motivating and after a setback at Crystal Palace, you know, it clearly hasn't damaged his mindset and I think, you know, it's only going to bode well having that kind of figure behind him. Sam, just before we go, one final line from Ryan's column today. Uh, it talks about Brighton closing in on the diamond of Paraguayan football. Uh, Julio Inciso from Club Lipadad. Um, I've probably butchered that pronunciation. There's several pronunciations. Duolingo would be very upset with me. Um, but in terms of Brighton, they're their kind of mindset, you know, he's not the first youngster that they've signed. They've obviously got Casper Kozlovsky as well. Uh, again, I've probably butchered that one, so I apologise there. Um, but in terms of the way that Sun, uh, that Brighton are going about their business in this window, are they being clever in that they are pretty much, you know, guaranteed football, Premier League football for next season? Um, you know, such was the start that they had, that they can almost start planning now for the future and bringing in these young talents and then possibly selling them down the line for, for big fees is, is going to be a big part of Brighton's uh, business model, shall we say, going forward. Yeah, I mean, like you said, they did. I mean, they did that with Ben White to an extent, didn't they? I know he was there. He was their player as a as a kid, but that you know they are ultimately going to be that type of club. And, and like I said, Graham Potter's done a great job, great job down there, um, and he's put them in a position where they can probably have a luxury that they haven't had in in previous seasons. So absolutely, you know, if they if they get to themselves where they can, they can take a gamble or two in the transfer market, you know, they probably weren't at that stage. You know, in January's gone by, they had to get the recruitment right because they needed a a little pick me up for you know for the second half of the season. So they've put themselves in the position, and it shows massively how how the, how the club is rising as well. Because, like you say, if these players turn out to um to be uh, you know they enjoy a, a rise like a Ben White, for example, it benefits the club in the short term, and then long term. You know the money that they got off Ben White has been reinvested, and and you look at where they where they're at this season. So, yeah, credit to them. They've put themselves in a position where they can take these sort of gambles, and I hope it pays off. Chaps, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Really appreciate your time as ever. Uh, of course, you can find out more about these transfer lines in Ryan's column on the Daily Express website, Taylor's Tuesday Transfers. Um, of course, as well, you can keep up to date with all the latest transfer news across the Daily Mirror, Daily Express and Daily Star website, as well as all of Reach's regional titles. But for now, it's goodbye. Goodbye.